Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The History Channel Original Podcast. It might be one of the oldest snack foods on the planet. Evidence of its existence dates back at least 4,000 years. It was used in early Native American communities, including the Aztecs and later by the Iroquois. But for Americans today, popcorn is synonymous with one thing a quick and easy snack, says food historian. Sarah Wasper Johnson. It's this indigenous food that's thousands of years old, but I think the vast majority of popcorn consumption in the United States is happening in movie theaters and baseball fields and county fairs and things like that. Popcorn really caught on in America during the 1890s as a novelty food found at fairs, parks, and expositions. Because of its low cost, five or 10 cents a bag, it remained popular even through the Great Depression. After films added sound in 1927, movie theater attendance grew. And so did popcorn consumption. Popcorn, because it's so inexpensive and creates a large volume of finished product compared to what you start with, I think really becomes the iconic movie theater snack. But if you wanted to make it at home, wasn't exactly easy, says Jason Liebig, candy and snack food historian. You get a skillet or a pot, you measure out your oil, you get your popcorn kernels, and then you sort of throw in there and you hope it turns out. People sort of forget how intensive the process of making popcorn was. It wasn't a quick and easy treat. But that all changed with the growing popularity of the home microwave in the 80s, which made making popcorn as easy as pressing a button. Nothing else came out of the microwave as perfect as popcorn. There was no other microwave food that was quite as great as microwave popcorn. It just seemed to be made for the machine. Huge companies like General Mills, Nabisco, and Pillsbury all vied for the title of top microwave popper. But one kernel ended up beating them all. A kernel that popped big and fluffy and rarely ever failed to pop. It was obsessively designed and cultivated over decades to be perfect. That kernel came from a humble Indiana farm boy whose face you've seen on countless popcorn packets with his trademark glasses and bow tie. His name was Orville Redenbacher. This is The Food That Built America, stories of innovation, taste, and good eats. Today, we'll take you back to the 1960s and follow one man's obsession with creating the perfect popping corn. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Orville grew up on his family farm in Indiana, one of four children. He was a hard worker, type to keep his head down and get things done. And he was asked, well, what did you guys do for fun? He said, work was our fun, we worked. When not helping on the farm, he would occasionally sell homemade popcorn from a roadside stand. Orville Redenbacher started growing popcorn at home in high school. 
He had his own little plot that his father would allow him to experiment with popcorn. And he would take the dried cobs of popcorn and gather them into like pillowcases and take them in his truck and sell them in the community. And his father allowed him to keep that money that he earned rather than put it in the family piggy bank. Eventually, he went to Purdue University. Orville Redenbacher's major was agronomy, the science and economy of farming, agriculture. When he graduates, he has a job right away developing seed types. He ends up doing all kinds of farming work. He sells fertilizer. He sells farming equipment. He sells seed for for crops, soybean, corn, wheat. He teaches other farmers the most scientific method of growing crops in their area. By 1940, he started to work for two wealthy brothers, the Smiths, who wanted to modernize their 12,000 acres of farmland in Indiana. So they hired Orville to do just that. He worked on the Smiths' farm for a little over a decade, but eventually Orville developed bigger ambitions of his own. He realizes that he'd like to have his own business with his name associated with his ideas. And his friend, Charlie Bowman, contacts him and says, you know... There's another farm for sale. It's a big one, Chester Seed Farm. And I I need a partner. Orville joined forces with Bowman. Their company, which they'd named Chester Hybrids, Inc., developed and supplied seeds to farmers, including grain, soybeans, and various varieties of corn. It was successful. And at the same time, it gave Orville a chance to pursue his interest in developing the perfect popcorn. By then, Orville had developed a full-blown obsession with the stuff. So during all these years, 30, 40 years of his life, he has different careers doing all sorts of different aspects of farming and agriculture and working as a scientist and a great, big-hearted, sharing guy. But at the same time, he's trying to produce the best popcorn. His goal was very specific, to develop the perfect strain of corn that would pop bigger, fluffier, and leave fewer kernels unpopped. He even has a criteria, it's 44 to one. And that means out of 45 popped kernels of corn in a batch of popcorn, only one will remain as a hard kernel. The rest will pop. But creating that kind of kernel was a science. The perfect corn, first of all, starts with a 19% moisture level inside the kernel. That means that there will be, when the kernel is heated up, there's going to be enough steam to explode the popcorn into this big fluffy popped corn. But he's also looking for the color. He wants it very pale. He wants it lighter. He wants it to have some real taste. He doesn't want it to taste like styrofoam. Um, He wants it to still have a corn taste. And he wants it to be effective at popping. So you don't have what he called the shy ones. Orville got to work developing his dream kernel using a process called hybridization. Hybridization has been going on for thousands of years by putting two different types of corn together in a row, and they're going to cross-pollinate and form a third type of corn. All corn seeds are hybrids, but only certain varieties produce kernels that are suitable for popping. And those kernels can take months to reach maturity, a full month longer than sweet corn. Successful hybridization can take years to perfect. Redenbacher ended up working with about 10,000 different types of corn. And through the process of hybridization, that multiplied. So he really was a perfectionist. 
and Orville had to test the kernels to make sure they met his criteria. He would take the popped corn back to his lab. In this case, he would be working in the lab. And he had these giant, these things that looked like giant test tubes. And he'd load up his popcorn and his rival's popcorns and to make sure that his always looked fluffier, lighter, filled more of the tube. He kept at this for decades, trying tens of thousands of hybrid strains of popcorn. And he worked morning, noon, and night. He worked full-time on a regular job. He did volunteer work, but he still found time to experiment and develop what he felt was the perfect popping corn. Finally, in 1965, Orville had a breakthrough. He seemed to have found the perfect hybrid kernel that popped with more volume and flavor. They had the kernel, the type of popcorn they wanted. They called it the Red Bow. Red for Redenbacher, Bow for Charlie Bowman. By then, the wider marketplace had evolved. Products like Easy Pop and Jiffy Pop, popcorn you could make at home in a stovetop foil-covered pan, had become a sensation. But unlike Jiffy Pop, Orville had been selling his product directly to farmers. They were actually running a business for farmers. So their plan was to sell this seed to other farmers in Indiana. So you have the red bow corn, and it's great. People who know about popcorn love it, but it's a very tiny marketplace. No one's really buying it. Orville and his business partner, Charlie, needed to change their strategy and get Red Bow to truly become a hit with the masses. That was when they decided to go to an advertising agency and really see if they could reach Americans um, who weren't farmers, but who might be interested in starting to love popcorn again. They knew it was the perfect kernel. They just needed the wider public to get on board. So they take their $13,000 and go to the big city of Chicago and hire a big advertising marketing consulting agency and say, what should we do? We have this product. We think it's great. The agency had one simple suggestion. They said, We think you should drop the name Redbow. We think you should call it the Orville Redenbacher Gourmet Popping Corn. The key to Orville Redenbacher's success was Orville himself, the charismatic farmer, the oversized bow tie. They really took to him. They said, you have to be the spokesperson. You can't just name it Orville Redenbacher and walk away. You have to represent this product. You have to be part of it because you're perfect for this story. You look like you're right out of Americana. Orville and his partner, Charlie, started getting the word out about their new gourmet popping corn, starting with a launch at Marshall Fields, 1970. They had a big splash in Chicago. Marshall Field, which was a huge department store, did a special offering of Orville Redenbacher gourmet popping corn, and they had dancing girls. They had the whole show. One little known fact about Orville, he went to graduate school to study radio communications, and that turned out to be a key to his success. He was very comfortable going on the radio all over the country, and in those days, radio was big. Hello, I'm, I'm Orville Redenbacher with my famous gourmet popping corn. He comes across just the way he is, very authentic. This is my popcorn. I think you're going to love it. I've worked my heart out growing this, and it's gourmet popcorn. So that was a big hit. Their popcorn started getting noticed, and Orville wasn't shy about getting the word out. 
They had their days when they were struggling and it looked kind of bleak, but they, Orville believed in this corn so much. They went out in their trucks with the corn and Orville would do his own sort of presentation person to person. It wasn't an overnight sensation. It doesn't do the trick right away. It takes a long time, but then it starts to grow. And wow, does it grow. As business took off, Orville and Charlie each played to their own unique strengths. Charlie was really the guy in the, behind the desk doing the numbers, running the company. Orville was the spokesperson. He was out on the street talking to people and engaging them in this gourmet popcorn. He really believed in it. Like a missionary, he made a lot of conversions. Suddenly, Orville was everywhere. Part of it is because Orville Renbacher just went out all the time to communities and people loved him. They really responded to his positive energy. With their popularity came the need for more money and wider market reach. By 1976, they sold to a food company named Hunt Wesson. Orville stayed as head marketer. He was the spokesperson. And the name of the product was still the Orville Redenbacher Gourmet Popping Corn. A national TV advertising campaign followed. Hello, I'm Orville Redenbacher. Can Ms. Lucy tell which popcorn is my famous gourmet popping corn? Start poppy, Lucy. Go ahead. Oh, that's yours. Right. Mine pops so much bigger and fluffier. It's blowing the top right off the popper. And And it really is a folksy, old-fashioned slice of life. The ads turned him into a cultural icon. He had a down-home personality, warmth that people responded to. I think that most people can sense authenticity. Somewhere in their heart, they knew that this was the real thing. And by the 1980s, Orville himself had turned into an icon. Orville Renbacher is so popular that when his family goes on a trip to Disney World, he can't get there because he's surrounded by crowds. But Orville's old-fashioned nature would soon come crashing into the needs of a changing society. New technology, like the microwave, meant he would have to adapt fast. 
People were watching movies at home on their VCR. This confluence of the microwave, the VCR, and the popcorn was great. Popcorn was pretty much the perfect microwave product. It's a good marriage, a marriage of convenience, the microwave and popcorn. Now, just press a button and you could have a whole bag ready to eat. Here's Liebig again. Popcorn was exciting again. Like, you could put the little paper bag and you would watch it. And he was like, oh my God, look. Soon, the microwave popcorn market started heating up. Pillsbury and a popcorn company called Act One developed microwavable popcorn in a package. General Mills was working on it too. But Orville was skeptical of the changes in the market. He wasn't in charge of the company anymore, but he thought his classic popcorn was too good to mess with. He said, look, I have this great product. We know it works really well in an air popper. We know it can work well in, even on the stovetop. We don't know if it's going to maintain its quality in a microwave. Orville Redenbacher was focused. Look, he was, he was in his lane. You know, he wanted to make the best popcorn for popping, you know, in the skillet. That was his thing. And for good reason. When the microwave hit the marketplace and people were beginning to try microwaving their popcorn, it was a little uneven. Some of it didn't pop the right way. Some of it got overdone. There were fires in the microwave. Orville didn't necessarily care about the convenience of the microwave. Orville himself only cared about the biggest pop-to-volume ratio. Wasberg Johnson again. Orville Renbacher, for all of his research into popcorn and his love of popcorn, was not that impressed with microwave popcorn. He thought stovetop popcorn was better, and frankly it is, but it's more time-consuming and much less convenient than just popping a bag of popcorn in the microwave and hitting a couple buttons. But the team in charge of the company had other ideas. Once you make your popcorn in a microwave, you don't want to ever go back. It's just so easy. It's just the way people feel about speed on their computer. Once you have high speed, you just can't go backwards. Some of the existing products definitely had room for improvement. The early efforts of microwave popcorn, which was Act One, which was Pillsbury, they had a lot of weaknesses. For one, um, because they were using dairy or coconut oil, they had to be refrigerated or frozen. So it's, you couldn't even, they weren't shelf stable. You had to keep them in the freezer. But the other thing was, when you would try to cook them in the microwave, uh, they, they were uneven. To keep Orville Redenbacher popcorn a leader in the field, the company had to make a better, more convenient product. But to do that, they had to figure out how to make the popcorn shelf stable. The packets of popcorn had to be able to sit in a pantry and then come out and pop through evenly. What the Orville Redenbacher company did was develop microwavable popcorn that was treated with an artificial butter that was shelf stable. So you could just buy it and anybody could just put it in the microwave and it would be fine. The company released Orville Redenbacher's new microwave popping corn in 1983. But it wasn't a sure bet. Around the same time, General Mills was developing its microwavable pop secret popcorn, and they had a secret technology up their sleeve. General Mills had a scientist by the name of William Brastad, and he came up with this fascinating invention called the susceptor. Now, it sounds like some magical wand or whatever, but the susceptor was this idea that you would take a sort of metallic film and you would wrap it around a food product and then you would put it in a microwave and it would transfer the microwaves into heat. When added to the popcorn bag, the susceptor focused the microwaves on the oil, heating it to a higher temperature, which cooked the kernels more evenly. 
It was a game-changing innovation when applied to microwave popcorn. Pop Secret came out in 1986. It's General Mills' Pop Secret going head-to-head with Orville Redenbacher for control of this microwavable popcorn marketplace. Pop Secret soon managed to capture about 26% of the microwavable popcorn market. So Pop Secret starts making these claims. We're the first microwave popcorn that's suitable for all wattages of microwaves now. And Orville Redenbacher is like, well, wait a second. No, no, our, we've got the best popping pop. We've got the best popping kernels. All of our popcorn kernels pop. So they start sort of sniping each other with claims. They are neck and neck. And for a second, it seems General Mills might eke out a win. But they ultimately couldn't beat out Orville. Orville Redenbacher, with their brand, with their consistency, they were able to claw back their market share, and they were able to become the sort of default popcorn brand. Orville's pivot to microwaves ultimately paid off. Microwave popcorn has grown the category, and Orville Redenbacher is large and in charge. The old man with those thick glasses, he's sitting pretty right now. In the late 1980s, the company expanded into new flavors. They have nacho, they have cheddar, They have caramel, that was very popular. They have onion. And by 1992, the company developed a health-conscious option. The range and appeal of popcorn was stronger than ever. This has taken Orville Renbacher's lifetime. He now is in his 70s. He started as a teenager. And look at the changes that he's lived through. Orville passed away in 1995 at the age of 88. By the end of his life, he had achieved his popcorn dreams, and then some. This is somebody who started with nothing. And he was doing his farm chores and then turning to grow popcorn as a kid, little by little. It's just an amazing achievement in one man's lifetime. And to this day, people still know Orville's face. I think that it's really amazing, so many years after Orville Redenbacher has died, that people still remember him. He's a folk person. He's almost a hero in commercial culture. If you like this podcast, then you'll love watching the Food That Built America TV series on the History Channel. Go to history.com to find out how you can watch The Food That Built America today. The Food That Built America is hosted by me, Jonathan Hirsch. At the History Channel, our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Mary Donahue, and Jim Pascarella. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lim. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is me. The series is produced by Muna Danish and Kate Mishkin. Our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Rufaro Faith. Our editor is Maura Waltz. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Alexis Martinez is our podcast coordinator. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound, and fact-checking by Naomi Barr. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.